We want to talk this morning about covetousness. And when you think of, when I think of covetousness, I never really think of anything that's good. Never think of anything that's good. But we will read one verse about something that's good, about covetousness, or that, that vein anyway. I saw a picture yesterday, and I thought I'd put it on the PowerPoint. It says, one of the enemy's most effective strategies is to get you to focus on what you don't have, what you used to have, or what someone else has that you wish you had. I thought that was pretty good. Think about covetousness. There are no less than eight Greek and Hebrew words that are would be in the covetous field, covetous range, the family of words. And uh, some of the words in English might be lust or desire or greed or selfish, like selfish ambition, avarice or the love of money, passion and inordinate affection. So those are some of the words in our, in the Greek uh, of the New Testament that are in the, the covetous family. And we're going to, some of those will be slid right in with what we want to talk about this morning. We, um, in talking about covetousness, I don't want to spend a lot of time defining it because you know what it is, but I do feel compelled just to do a little bit. And um, the word covet in Strong's is to set the heart upon, that is to long for, rightfully or otherwise, to covet, desire, would fain, or to lust after. I told you I was going to read one scripture this morning that would be in a good sense about covetousness, and it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but I, before we read that, just turn, turn to there, if you would, turn, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the uh, gifts of the spiritual gifts that um, were then to be had. Uh, there are differences of ministries in verse 5, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of activities, but in the, in the, it is the same God who works in them all, but, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now in verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire or covet, if you will, the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So in a good sense, you can covet the good gifts that God uh, had given. And in a good sense, that would be another strong number to desire earnestly to set the mind and heart upon something. And we use that in a, in a good sense just then. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, it says, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So this evil desire is that word. It's one of those words. It's a strong word, number G1939. 
It's a longing, especially for what is forbidden. Concupiscence, desire, again, the words lust after. So covetousness that the Bible most often talks about is an inordinate desire to possess what belongs to another. And usually it's something tangible. So that's the way we want to really look at it this morning and, and talk about it. And I want us to begin by looking about how this thing works. And turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. <clears throat> Joshua led the people across, across the Jordan River from the, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that, in which Moses led them. But now he's in charge and he leads them across the river and they take the fortified city of Jericho. And you know how they do it, but they were forbidden to do some things. They could not take anything that they couldn't take anything that was uh, for themselves. It was forbidden. And so we have a technical difficulty. It will be fixed. Okay. All right. Thank you, Robert. They were forbidden to take anything, but Achan took something. And we can see how it works in Joshua chapter 7, verses 19 through 21, where it says, Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And, they are, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with all the silver under it. So if you look at what Josh, uh, or Achan said that he did, he says he saw it, he saw that the stuff, and he coveted it, and he took it. Now, if he had known it was all right to take it, what would he have done with it? Well, he wouldn't have hidden it in his tent, would he? So he knew he was wrong, as we all know. So he saw it, he coveted it, he took them. So what we might say then is covetousness looks, works something like this. The eye looks upon whatever object it might be and then admires it and the mind or the, the will goes over to it. And then the body moves in to possess it. I think we can see that in what uh, Achan did in Joshua chapter 7. Turn with me to John 12. John 12. John 12, verses 1 through 6. Look at, at um, Judas for just a moment or two. John 12, verse 1. <clears throat> then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus who, uh, was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and served, and, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used, used to take what was put in it. So I, see, I think we see something right here. Here's Judas. He's, he's carrying the money for all of their needs of the, the 12 and, uh, that has been collected for them. He's carrying it to buy whatever they need, and, but he's taking the money. And <clears throat> he's spending it apparently on himself. Now in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6. Luke 22, 3 through 6. Then Satan entered Jesus, Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. I read that and, and read later on the the uh, narrative of when he betrays Jesus. And again, I've said this to you before, here is one of the 12 who had been sent out at some point and had taught and had healed the sick and anointed them with oil and cast out demons. He's done these things, but it just doesn't sink in. What he, what he really likes is the money that he's carrying in his pocket when, when they have something to carry. And it produced in him something that was not good. And so he makes a move to go possess more than what they have in the money box that he was taking. And so I would think that would be some form of covetousness right there that he loved that, that money and what it could buy for him and what it could do for him. <clears throat> Look in Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Luke 12, verses 13 through 15. Then one of the crowd, then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So here's a man who who's, wants something from his brother, some of his inheritance, if you will, from his brother. He just can't wait. And Jesus says, Beware of covetousness. Beware of this thing that you think is going to enrich you, that will change your life. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Beware of covetousness, he says. And then when you read chapter uh, verses 16 through 21, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. 
then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here's a man who has a plenty and he's still looking to lay up more and more treasure for himself. And the problem is, as it says in the last verse that we read, verse 21, this man was not rich toward God. Achan was not rich toward God. Judas was not rich toward God. Judas and all of these, that's not enough for them. They want more. And it all comes from the things of this world, the covetousness thing. See, spiritual wealth is being in harmony with God's will. That's what we need to strive for, being in harmony with God's will. We'll get into, or Stephen will, Lord will, in the next hour, some specificity on this and um, look at that. But we're just going to cover it in a broad stroke in this lesson. The ideal in covetousness, about covetousness, the ideal is in Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Interesting that he put that there at the end of the Ten Commandments. And in verse 15, he says, you shall not steal. Don't steal. Don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. And then he says, don't even in your mind desire it. Don't do that. In reading and studying about this, uh, I read something, and I don't know who wrote it. But he says, thinking about do not steal and do not covet your neighbor's house, wife, servant, females, servant, male servant, ox, donkey. There was an oriental custom that I've never heard of, an oriental custom that said, if you saw, your, if you walk by your neighbor's house and they're not there and you see something there and you wanted it and you took it, there was no condemnation. I thought, I've never in my life heard of that. But apparently in the Orient, they have that custom. And he says, maybe this has something to do with that. Don't, don't, if you see your, your neighbor gone, don't take his weed eater like somebody took of mine. Don't do that. So the ideal is not even to desire what your neighbor has or anybody has. When Jesus is asked, what's the great commandment? He said, you love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and everything. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. If we love our neighbor like ourselves, we won't steal from him, will we? Or we won't even want, we won't covet his house or covet his wife or his males or anything that he has. That's ideal. The world doesn't get too far with the ideal. They don't. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 it says, let each of you look out not only for your, his own interest but also for the interests of others. So if we're looking out for the interest of others, are we going to covet our neighbors anything? That's not looking out for their own interests. We got to love our neighbors ourselves. 
Look at 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. You know the verses, I'm sure. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That lust is one of those covetous words right there. It's in that family. What we sometimes forget, I do, you do, is the world's passing away. And all of those lusts that are, that are to be had, they're going somewhere. And it won't be forever. And so that's what we should try to remember. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does what God says, does the will or the intentions of the Father, that's what he wants. That's what abides forever. In Colossians 3 verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Evil desire, you get it? Covetousness, and which is idolatry. We don't think of that. Uh, that covetousness being idolatry. Are we going to bow down to a car? Because we want one just like somebody has? No. No, that's not it. But what is that idolatry? It's that, that pull that's so strong for us that we don't have the, we, we don't want to have the will to fight it. And it takes precedent in our mind over serving God. It takes precedent. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or a covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That that covetous man, covetousness is idolatry. Covetous man is one who is an idolator. He, uh, he bows, he worships, if you will, getting that stuff. And he doesn't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, nor, uh, starting in the middle of a thought, nor thieves, nor covetousness, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The next verse says, such were some of you. Covetous people will not inherit the kingdom of God, or any of those other in the list right there. Will not inherit the kingdom. It is so serious, as a matter of fact, that God excludes those who are covetous from the kingdom. He won't allow you in. He excludes that person. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness 
and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Those who desire to be rich, if they're not, that's their aim. If they have, their aim is to get more. Just look at that verse. Just look at the bad things. That are, they fall into temptation and a snare. They're caught into many foolish and harmful lusts. What do those lusts do? Drown men in destruction. We don't think about that. And we stray from the faith in our greediness, he says. There's one of those words. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we're chasing, <clears throat> chasing after that desire to be rich, if, we're, if that's our goal, we are not without covetousness. We, are, <laughs> we have that covetousness. He said, be content with what you have. It's all you've got. And if we're covetous, God's not with us. He, he, will, I'll, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Does that mean he's going to leave us? He won't leave us or forsake us if we're covetous? No. We've left him. We've left him. That's the problem. It takes us away from him. But as long as we do what his will is, he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Adam Clark, in his commentary, writing about not coveting, writing, writing about not coveting, had this sentence in there among several. And he says, the observance of which will prevent all public crimes. Not, covet, not coveting will prevent all public crimes. I kind of did a double take on that, and I thought, hmm, hadn't really thought about that wide scale. Then I got to thinking, what if Japan in World War II hadn't wanted the resources from China? What if they hadn't wanted the resources of Manchuria or India or the Philippines or New Zealand or I don't know what all those other, I don't know what they all are, but what if they hadn't coveted those things? What if Germany in World War II had been content and not have uh, annexed Austria and then taken Poland and then took France? What if they'd just been, and then invaded Russia? What if they'd just been content with what they had? Where'd it get us? 60 million people died in World War II because of greed, covetousness. The thoughts of the heart come under God's law, and we are as responsible for them as for our actions. We do wrong, we're condemned. We think wrong, and we're condemned as well. If you've done wrong, thought wrong, and you need the prayers of the saints on a matter or need to be baptized into Christ, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?